Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it is you're coming from. Thanks for joining. Super excited to be here today for my first in-person conversation with my buddy Carlos. So welcome, Carlos. We're sitting here. People aren't going to be able to see, but we're actually sitting here facing each other. So it's a little like strange, right? It's like a casual conversation, but not a casual conversation. He's staring straight at your eyes, like looking at your soul right now. <laughs> Just staring straight into the soul. Um, so I really appreciate you doing this. Um, Carlos and I have been friends for not like a super long time. How long has it been about? I would say technically not even a year. It, although it has felt like two or three years. Yeah. We actually have only, we haven't even, I think it's only been exactly one year. Yeah, right we, we haven't known each other for a really long time, but I feel like we've become really good buddies like really quick. Yeah. We have a lot of things in common. We like a lot of the same stuff. Um, You know, we're, we're going to get into all that kind of stuff that, that we like doing and everything, but I'm excited to do this because I've done a lot of kind of conversation slash interview style of doing things. And I've actually had a, a few people reach out to me and say, you know, kind of interested in a rambling kind of style, like just just a chat with somebody with no exact direction. As you can see here, Carlos, you can confirm there are no notes in front of me. No, there There is not. no script. There is no anything. So we're just going to talk and we'll see where it goes. But one thing I want to touch on immediately, I want to say welcome back, because you were just recently coming back from Puerto Rico, correct? Yep, I was back home. I was home for, I want to say, about a week and a half, although it felt like three, four days. And I mean, it was a good trip. It was the first time I went to Puerto Rico since November, since like Thanksgiving week of 2019. Okay, and, so it's been a while since you've been back home. Yeah, and it was originally supposed to be a Thanksgiving trip to see my family, because uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Puerto Rican. I was born and raised there, and it, I was there for Thanksgiving, and the day after was my girlfriend's sister's wedding. So, I mean, yeah, so uh, someone getting married on a Black Friday it sounds like one of the dumbest ideas ever. <laughs> Classy, I love that. <laughs> like, it just kind of makes no sense. And my girlfriend and I just, we constantly still to this day just kind of scratch our heads at that decision. So. Yeah, kind of a strange one. How was it being back home? And when you say back home, where exactly did you grow up in, in Puerto Rico? So I was born in, so, so I basically spent my entire life except for two years on the western, southwestern side of the island. Okay. So I was born in a place called Mayagüez, and... But I never actually lived there. I lived in two neighboring towns. One was called Añasco and one was Cabo Rojo. Neither of them you can really call them actual metropolitan okay. type of area. They were more like rural, very country-like, yeah. very, 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 you know, humble areas. And I remember – except for like one, one time where I just spent like two years on the southern side of the island, which was a – that one was a place called Ponce. So for those of you who don't know, Ponce in Puerto Rico is kind of like a cultural, like, super town where you have, like, great museums. You'll have a lot of – like, if you want to know a lot about Puerto Rico's culture, yeah, like, that's where you want to go. That's where Ponce, you go. Which is okay. like – yeah, like the southern side of the island. Western side is more rural, very country-like, and, like, I basically lived in a – in in a fishing town like there's no actual like big big towns it was literally right off the coast like yeah. if you walk out in a lot of places where i currently live in puerto rico whenever i stay there it's just a bunch of people fishing out and if it's on rainy days they'll literally go out on the street and just hunt for crabs like they'll stop their car wow in the street and hunt for crabs because crabs are a crabs are a hot commodity and every time it rains the crabs just kind of go out and it's just a 
it's it's chaotic because it literally stops all traffic because yeah. people just want to make a quick bucks selling crabs. Wow. Like when you say crabs, do you mean like big ones or small ones like and they just like crawl out on the street? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, cuz cuz the street is literally right on the on uh, right on the sea. Yeah. So you so they'll it's like a, any sea life there like it's pretty much fair game. Yeah. That's wild. I had no idea. But then again that makes sense because I don't really know much about Puerto Rico. <laughs> uh you you see things in the news and you know when whenever you see like a hurricane or a disaster or something here you know, that's really all I know. So I feel very uneducated about Puerto Rico. And so I was like hearing you talk about it. I'm always very fascinated by that. And your your girlfriend that you talked uh, about, Diana, um, I, I remember before you left, we were talking about, she was like, oh, bring back the coffee, the coffee. So is <laughs> is Puerto Rican coffee like a popular thing? Is it like a well-known thing? Because I don't know if I've ever had coffee from, I'm a huge coffee drinker. I have a cup of coffee here right <laughs> in front of me. Um, but I, I didn't, I, I'm not aware. Is Puerto Rican coffee kind of a, a big deal there? It used to be. So back in the, I want to say like 30, 40, 50 years ago, Puerto Rican coffee was like, like a super well-known, very popular coffee at the, like world-renowned. Okay. But in recent decades, the island itself has kind of started to get a little more industrialized, a little more Americanized. So, coffee production in Puerto Rico just kind of starts being less of a priority. So, yeah. it's not as great as you know, as I say, my grandparents would uh, yeah. had it back in the day. It's very. They, they kind of mix it. It's not like sometimes they don't eat the coffee that they make in Puerto Rico isn't even 100% pure Puerto Rican coffee. Oh, wow. They use like, you know, uh, Arabic beans or yeah. whatever they're called. And it's a, and yeah, it's, I would say it's kind of gone down a little bit based yeah. on, you know, just the history of the island of coffee that I've been able to, yeah. to study. What would you say um, are like the, the foods or drinks or whatever? Like, cause I'm a, you know, I hate, the terminology foodie, it just gets used <laughs> so much now, but whatever you want to call it, I'm that person. I love trying different foods from different cultures and things like that. And I've been to a lot of restaurants where they've said like, oh, here's like a, a traditional you know, dish from Puerto Rico, but I have no idea if it's really a traditionally dish. Um, you know, so what would you say, what were the foods and things that like you grew up with and you grew up eating that you miss or you wish were here in the States, like, you know, the, you know, the, the United States, um, you know, in separation from Puerto Rico, what what are the things that you miss the most? So, growing up, I, I was very fortunate that I lived in, for quite a number of years with my grandparents who own a restaurant where they actually did so, serve, like, very traditional cool. Puerto Rican yeah. food and nothing else. So, it was, like, stuff like rice, white rice and beans, you know, rice and... Um, Trying to forget what the I'm trying to remember what the name for it, but it was uh it was a type of beans. It was just different kinds of rice and yeah. beans, uh, and chicken would be like fried, not not fried chicken in the traditional sense, mm -hmm. but sort of like a but it was a different type of like chicken or meat kind of being fried. Yeah, where it's kind of like more more cube shaped, like not the breaded fried. Yeah. that you know U.S. is typically refers to yeah. fried chicken ass. And stuff like um, uh, we we call this empanadillas, empanadas, where it's just kind of like a somewhat doughy type of fried meal where you can just put in anything, whether it be chicken or 
is we call there's one that we call like empanadilla de pizza, which is it kind of replicates you know that same type of deal, but with a but with pizza like ingredients where you have like cheese, maybe a little bit of sauce in there. Uh, not not necessarily a calzone, but it's kind of like that kind that type of ballpark yeah. and. I love empanadas. Yeah. Empanadas are so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my grandparents uh, love making them a lot. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that kind of, that kind of food is what I usually, uh, what I usually eat back, yeah. back home growing up. So, when you go back to Puerto Rico, like, the area that you went back to, how, like, I, you know, Puerto Rico is a part of the United States, you know, so, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't like to use that term, like, how Americanized, but, like, how Americanized is the area that you're in? Like, are there McDonald's everywhere? Has McDonald's colonized that area uh, as they like to do? Or is it still kind of more just like mom and pop local businesses? Uh, it's it has it's been Americanized to a certain extent for like a long, long time. But the places that I usually go to, it's it, it doesn't get like overbearing like you know back when i was back when i was little uh i had a, a you know there was a mcdonald's there was a burger king there were you know different uh a marco's pizza which really yeah there <laughs> yeah there's a marco's pizza in uh in the town that i live that i live in yeah whenever i go back home and i and i, I have to admit i thought marco's pizza was a puerto rican franchise until i found out <laughs> when i moved in here oh hey there's marco's pizza here and i'm like and my girlfriend's like yeah it's really good i'm like all right i'll try it and then for some reason i just feel like the marco's pizza in the us it's better than the oh, marco's pizza okay. in puerto rico even though my girlfriend says there's no difference it's the same that's such a weird thing isn't it when you can try like a franchise mm. and try it in different locations and have completely different experiences. I know places like McDonald's and stuff like they actually offer different foods mm. depending on where you are in the world. Like you can get different dishes and, and different combinations of things and spices and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's really interesting when you think that you grow up on something mm. that you feel is local to you and then you realize it's not. And you're like, oh, OK. Burger King is a very – Burger King's a very good example of that yeah. because – here in the U.S., they have the little chicken fries and mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Burger King, I don't think they even had that. Or they kind of used, like, the old chicken tender yeah. uh, shape, mm-hmm. which I think it's phenomenal, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, the U.S. has kind of discontinued that kind of version of the chicken tenders or chicken nuggets, whatever you want to call them, uh, for quite a long time. But I think in the Puerto Rico, or at least in certain Burger Kings, they still have that. They still have, like, that 90s kind of, like, very small with, like, the little ridges on top of it. It's, yeah. it's still – they still have them in yeah. in certain Burger Kings. They just sometimes don't update the menu. They don't bother to. They don't have the resources to. Yeah. So they just kind of keep it how they've always done it. So let's talk about it. We've been dancing around fast food, right? So, like, what are your what are your go-to fast foods? What are your favorite places? Are you a fast food person in general or no? I would say so. I would say so. I try not to. You said that with a lot of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so, in Puerto Rico, I my go-to would kind of be uh, McDonald's and Church's Chicken, which I oh, Church's Chicken. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever been there. It's good. It's good. I've never actually been to Church of Chicken in the states. Okay. But I but there's a lot of them in Puerto Rico, and yeah. I I have to admit I have no idea if Church of Chicken is a Puerto Rico franchise or a U.S. franchise. I have absolutely no. It idea. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It doesn't it even matter. Doesn't matter at this point. And a and a rest and a restaurant chain called El Meson, which kind of 
has a similar type of a Puerto Rican-ish kind of cuisine, but they're more, fo more focused on sandwiches, and it's a national chain in Puerto Rico, and they got a couple of uh, stores in Florida, because Florida okay. is, is yeah. has a huge Puerto Rican population. So, But here in the States, my number one go-to is definitely Five Guys. Five Guys, really? Yes. See, that's what I find to be so interesting. I do not like Five Guys at oh, all. You're killing I me. I know. Look at you have like an upset look on your face right now. <laughs> so why do you like Five Guys? Why Five Guys? I just love their burgers, man. The okay. burgers and the fries. Uh, I've never, I've never heard of like peanut oil being used in foods. And when yeah, I, and when I do I, dig that. I do like that. Yeah. And for when, and when I first tried uh a five guys burger when i was in college i'm like this is the best thing i've ever eaten really yeah and, all right so i know you can go there and just deck out your toppings unlimited right yes what is your go-to burger like how do you order it oh i'm the most like vanilla type of person real basic order. right yeah the most basic of basics it's like patty lettuce tomato sometimes i'll put in a, a, whatever barbecue sauce they got um, for some reason they have a1 steak sauce as one of the i love a1 so like that was the first thing i thought of because i think i've been to five guys like twice mm -hmm. and both times i got a1 on the burger and that was the only thing that saved it for me because i love <laughs> a1 steak sauce i'm one of those weird people i think it's the raisin paste they use raisin paste which sounds very strange to yeah. use in a sauce but it gives it that like tanginess that i that i really like and now i want some a1 sauce and a steak <laughs> that's how that works um, and, and they also got and they also got the well before the pandemic they also got the the little huge crate of peanuts where you can just grab yeah it. that's right yeah like old school steakhouse style i remember i used to go to like i think it was like lone star or outback steakhouse and you could get the peanuts and just drop the shells on the floor but they had to stop doing that because i think people were like quote-unquote falling and hurting themselves and trying to sue them so they had to stop doing that i didn't even know you did i well, first of all, I, did, I don't think that's a good business decision to even... Yeah, it was, a, it was a big thing, though. When I was a kid, I remember when we would go to the steakhouses, I would get so excited because I loved, like, getting the little buckets of peanuts, and you could just shell them. And literally, there, there's just something magical about throwing shells on a floor, <laughs> and you don't have to worry about, you know, like, anybody thinking anything of it. But I guess people were actually, like, slipping and falling because they weren't cleaning them up. So it's a strange little, like, side plot. But I, I remember that. I'm wondering if anybody out there ever had an experience with that or remembers that it was like lone star i think steakhouse and you used to be able to like throw the peanut shells on the floor so shout out if anybody anybody else experienced that um so yours is five guys you're you're a five guy guy yes yeah. I'm, a, I'm a five guy guy and i I'll, I'll eat you know i'll also eat from a mcdonald's or a marco's pizza or or a subway every so often and and i'll even try to go for some asian food sometimes yeah because uh, there's a couple of Asian restaurants right near where I live, including a place where like it's almost specifically designed to be like, all right, I want uh, I want this order and just grab and go almost. Oh, okay, yeah, I like that. Um, I was I I would say a decent amount of fast food growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember my family. We always just went to McDonald's because I guess that was easiest. They were everywhere. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, I kind of started gearing away from fast food. And kind of switching, I guess, what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, and I stopped eating it for a really long time. But for sure, my guilty pleasure fast food is Taco Bell. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I, I've never been a, a taco I, guy. I, I love Taco Bell so much, like so much more than I should like Taco Bell. Because <laughs> there is nothing about it that says authentic taco or no, anything. No. It is it is the most ravaged American version of a taco. But 
I I can't deny that sometimes at eleven thirty at night I just <laughs> want a Taco Bell taco. I don't know why. I it's I don't know. Maybe it's how my brain works. And my wife is with me on this one because, <laughs> uh, you know, M well. Um, M loves Taco Bell. Like the other day we were hanging out outside. It was a beautiful day outside. She's reading a book. I come and sit next to her. We're just enjoying the weather. And then she just lovingly looks over at me and says, "I want to go to Taco Bell." <laughs> and I went. No, we don't need to go to Taco Bell. We just had dinner. And she's like, but I want it. And I go, all right, let's go. And we went to Taco Bell. And I feel like that's how they get so many people. People are like, no, we don't need Taco Bell. You're like, but I want it. And you go, yeah, good point. We should just go to Taco Bell. My my girlfriend Diana is almost the same, but it's with Wendy's. She's a Wendy's girl. What what does she get at Wendy's? So she get an Asiago Ranch Chicken Club. That sounds so good. with, With large fries. And she will take a couple of my nuggets because that's kind of fries and nuggets <laughs> are the only thing I would eat from Wendy's. Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of like her go-to. Jesus. Every time I suggest Wendy's, whenever like I I'm stumped on what yeah. to cook and just, yeah. and she just immediately springs up and she's like, yes, let's yeah. do it. Let's she's do like, it. all right, you convinced me. You said Wendy's. <laughs> Everybody has their thing. I, I will say when I spent time out in California, um, everybody said you got to go to In-N-Out. In-N-Out is the place oh, out God. there, right? So I don't, I don't know if you have In-N-Out experience. I have only one In-N-Out experience. Uh, back when in 2018, when I went to Los Angeles to cover a boxing fight, and we're and, gonna get it all into this because <laughs> you live an interesting life, my friend. Anyway, continue. And I and for, and my girlfriend loves In-N-Out. Like, she, like we've had constant debates over what's better, In-N-Out or Five Guys. I've had debates with like prominent boxing people about this that's amazing and people feel strongly about it yeah like, they do have really strong opinions they, they do and and i had in and in and out uh i had two in and out burgers during my stay in los angeles and i will admit it is really really good mm-hmm. it's just not better than five guys i'm sorry look it's, at that it just, hot take everybody it's a very close second yeah it's a very close second but it's not definitively better yeah I I had a very interesting experience with Five Guys. The first time, and I'm curious if anybody listening out there had this experience. The first time I went to Five Guys, I was really excited. Like, I took pictures of the restaurant. I took pictures of me and the people I was with going in. I was really pumped for it. And then I went in and I got a burger and I got their, what are they called? Animal fries? Is that what they're called? Animal style. And yeah, where you get like the Thousand Island. I love Thousand Island, by the mm-hmm. way. So you get like the cheese and the caramelized onions. And that. So the fries, I loved. Love, love, love the fries. I'm all about that game. I will eat the fries all day long. But people can freak out if they want. Their burgers are just not that good to me. They, are, they were so greasy. I actually got a really upset stomach after I ate the Five Guys burger. Or not the Five Guys, the In-N-Out burger. I got a really upset stomach. And I remember I was like, eh, maybe it's just like a bad example or whatever. A couple weeks later, I went back again. Same exact thing. Really upset stomach. And I went, all right, I'm good. You know what I did love, though? What? Jack in the Box. I've never had Jack in the oh Box. Oh, my gosh. So Jack in the Box, they, they – um, they dedicate themselves to a certain crowd of people. They know who they are, um, and they really work to uh, kind of please a certain crowd of people, which I would say is kind of at least where we were in kind of like the Oakland area, the San Francisco area. Uh, you know, there are certain populations of people out there, um, and they really push to to have certain meals that are exactly for those for those people. Um, like they are open super super late. Um, you know, and they have certain like boxes of food you can get at like midnight or like they'll start selling them after 11 p.m. Right. Where you can go and like it has like a taco 
and like a burger <laughs> and regular fries and curly fries and you're like wow this is kind of like every you're like i can go to a burger place and get a taco what kind of place is this like <laughs> and they offer you both and i think they call it something like the stoner box or something like that like they <laughs> they know who they are they know who they cater to it's like oh they offer this at midnight okay this sort of makes sense you know what here. i can appreciate that yeah i mean totally legal in california mm. right like there you know nothing nothing against the law so if that's your jam out there go for it but I, I love that they have specific food and boxes and stuff catered to groups because it's like they know who they are, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was their breakfast food. They had one breakfast item that blew me away. I could go there and get like a, a, a sausage, egg, and cheese. And on the actual sandwich, they also put a hash brown. Oh, wow. That was like a game changer for me. I was like, wait, a hash brown on a sandwich? How is this going to be? Mm -hmm. And as everybody would surmise out there, it was magical. Like mm -hmm. potatoes and eggs and everything. It's like rather than separate it, let's just put it all in one place. So good. So I really like Jack in the Box. I thought it was far superior to in and out but I wasn't allowed to say that out loud a lot because people got upset. Like yeah, in and out yes, is a do. whole thing out there. So if anybody out there, if you haven't been to California or you have been to California, I'd love to know your thoughts on that because most of the people I encountered in California, if you talked bad about in and out, like you automatically dropped like a ladder rung for those people. It's almost, it's almost like it's a, like a sports thing. Like where mm -hmm. you're, a fan, if you're, that's from a good a, way of saying it. If, yeah. if you're from a certain city, like, I mean, you're, kind of default into being a fan of that team. Exactly. So if, like, you're in California, you're in Arizona, you're in the West, you obviously are going to go for In-N-Out. If you live in the Northeast, like I did for, like, six years, yeah. it's um, it, it's Five Guys. And yeah. if you live, like, in Texas, yeah. it's Whataburger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way of saying it, actually. Like, you almost get bottlenecked into the area mm -hmm. that you're in. Um, you know, living in that kind of Bay Area, uh, people always said to me, oh, are you a Giants fan or an Oakland A's fan? I'm like, oh, I have I have to choose a baseball team. And they're like, oh, yeah, you got to choose. You're a San Francisco Giants fan or you're an Oakland A's fan. I was like, um, I don't know. I like the Oakland A's uniforms better, so I guess I'll go with them. <laughs> um, and people were like, no, that's not an acceptable answer. Um, so it's, it's really weird when you kind of get divided based off of where you are and everything. Now, for me, I grew up around Wawa. Do you know what Wawa is? Oh, yeah, have absolutely. You... Oh. I, I love it. Oh, okay. So this is exciting. I just got even more pumped for this conversation. <laughs> um, so for any of you out there that don't know, Wawa is a kind of convenience store, mm -hmm. much like you would um, uh, Sheets, which I can get into a whole debate about Sheets. Uh, a buddy of mine from college and I, um, he's a huge Sheets fan. I'm a Wawa person. We've literally had an ongoing like decade plus, like like 15 years worth of, you know, poking at each other for, you know, posting videos and sending each other gifts and stuff about which one is better. We've been going at it for years and years and years. I um, mean, clearly Wawa is better. So sorry, Brad. Um, but yeah, I grew up with Wawa. So it's kind of like your convenience store uh, with a gas station. I never like to compare it to 7-Eleven because every 7-Eleven I've ever been to is awful. Yes. Um, so I don't like it to compare it to that. It's like an upgraded version of that. But you can go in and get things made to order. They have all your normal drinks and snacks and everything. But growing up with Wawa's, and when I say growing up, I mean like on my way to like school as a kid, I would pass like four Wawa's on my way to school. So they were everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And it was just the normal thing for me. Like, you know how you grow up in an area and you think, oh, this is just what normal life is like? Right. I thought everybody yeah. ate at Wawa. This is 
before the age of social media like we have it now, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't get Facebook until my freshman year of college. Okay, oh. so that's that's dating myself. I know, laugh at me, right? That's dating <laughs> myself. Um, that's that's dating myself. Uh, but there was, you know, thank God, right? Uh, there was no social media growing up. I don't know if I would have went to high school, if I would have enjoyed going to high school with Instagram and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. We didn't really have, nobody had phones or anything like that, really. Um, I didn't get my first cell phone until senior year of high school. Yeah, I'm. I know I'm old. You're a lot younger than I am. So yeah. <laughs> to be fair, um, you're you're about what ten years younger than me, something like that. Look, uh, okay, I'm 26. Yeah, so. you're 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 nine nine and a half years younger yeah. than me. So I'm dating myself. For everybody out there, I'm old. Um, but yeah, I didn't have. I think I got my first cell phone senior year of high school, um, which was. I remember getting my first, it was like a little blue singular phone. And I thought to myself, that's it. Technology will never get better than this. Um, I can play Snake on this phone. Um, this is it. This is the epitome of technology. Now, um, now, to me, the pinnacle of technology during school when it comes to cell phone was when you when you first had the flip phones. I thought oh, that yeah. it, oh, was, yeah. it was the flip phones. And then it was one of those like... I think it was like a, one of those Motorola phones where it was like very big, very fat, where you had like the stylus and you kind of had yeah. like almost like a computer yeah. keyboard yeah. right there below yeah. the screen. It was like the, the physical keyboard, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of places went away from that and then BlackBerry stuck with it as long as they possible. I don't know if they still have those. I don't know if BlackBerry – I don't even know if they still exist. Yeah, I was about I to no ask. Like, I don't – I've yeah, never I seen a no commercial idea. for a BlackBerry in years. I remember when – Steve Jobs did that whole iPhone presentation when the iPhone was first unveiled, and he specifically spoke about that. He said, you know, why have this physical keyboard? Why why not just bring up a keyboard when you need it, and then it goes away when you don't need it? And people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it was like, no, it's a digital keyboard. Like, when you need it, it pops up, and when you're done, it goes away. And everybody was like, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> like, this science is unbelievable. You know, and it was so funny that at the time, you could click on a website and it would take 30 seconds to load and you would be like, that's so fast. And now if I click on a website and it takes longer than one second, I feel angry. Like I feel like mad about it. I'm so like first world problem. I'm like, oh my gosh, this website took two seconds to load. This is garbage. Like, yeah, yeah. You click on a website and if it takes longer than a second to load, you you start wondering, wait, is the internet out? Is something happening? Yeah, like- you immediately worry if something is wrong, right? You immediately go to like, is my Wi-Fi okay? Like, is everything good? Um, it's just funny, like, how rapidly technology is advancing. I was just telling you before this that um, I actually just got a new phone, a brand new phone. I just got it like two days ago. It's the uh, Samsung Galaxy S21. That's not the one that blows up, right? No, I don't. I hope not. Wait, okay. I feel like I need to do more research now that you said that. <laughs> well, I know a couple of years ago there was a phone that had the um, – Oh, yeah. They would like like spark and stuff and like light on fire in people's purses and bags and pockets and stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope not. This is a brand new phone. Okay. Like I think they just launched that in the beginning of this year. Okay. I think um, you're good. You're good. And I got offered like a, a trade-in credit for my phone um, because I guess they, they're getting ready to launch the new like Google Pixel 5a. Yeah, um, I just saw commercials for it. Yeah, that thing looks crazy. Yeah, good. they were they were supposed to. I like simplicity. I don't need all the crazy gizmos and gadgets and all that. I like I like a little more simplicity. So I didn't get the plus or the ultra or anything. It's just the basic. I'm the opposite. Yeah, I know you like all that, <laughs> all the gizmos and gadgets and techiness. Um, so for me, 
you know, I was happy with my 4A. I had a Pixel 4A. I really liked it. I love Google. I have Google everything. I am not an Apple person. I apologize to everybody out there that is an Apple person. I don't really apologize. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I mean, I'm an Apple. I'm an iPhone person, you know, by circumstance because yeah. my family was like, all right, we're all going to get iPhones. I'm like, yeah. okay. I Convenient. Have, I really have no choice in the matter yeah. because before that, I was an Android person. Yeah. And... Let me, and I'm gonna date myself on this one. Okay. I was, I had an Android when they had the Android Market, the Android oh, Marketplace. Oh yeah. Like before it got turned into the Google Play Store. Yeah. I remember the, literally one day when I first got the a new Android phone, and I'm like, oh cool, like the Android Marketplace. And then 30 seconds later, I see, wait, where is it? Where is it? And I see Google Play Store. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And, and then my Jack, my dad, my dad and I constantly joke about it, saying like, we witnessed the death of the Android marketplace. <laughs> you actually saw it happen. You're yes. like, oh look, one thing, and then it changed to the exact opposite. Yes. Yeah. It's really weird. I I started the exact opposite. Um, I didn't actually get on the um, the kind of smartphone game until later. Um, I still had kind of uh remember the flip phone that like the screen slid out sideways like it didn't just slide out, it kind of clicked off to the side Do, did you ever yeah, see that yeah i barely I, remember yeah, yeah i had one of those it's still a physical keyboard like real old school so i held mm -hmm. out for a long time um and then finally i said okay i'll get an iphone and i think my first iphone was like an iphone three or four or something like that so i really didn't get into the game until later um because I didn't feel like I need it. And, of course, once I got it, I was like, oh, I need this. <laughs> um, so so that was kind of an interesting thing for me. I got into the game a little bit later. But I started with Apple. And then a whole bunch of people that I knew had, uh, I think it was the Galaxy phones, like the early Galaxy ones. Right. And they said, oh, it's much more intuitive and this and this. So I was like, oh, I'll try it. I'll, I'll give it a try. Why not, right? So I tried a Galaxy phone, and I that was it. I never <laughs> went back to Apple after that. Um, I love Android. Uh, stock Android is just my absolute favorite thing. I just, I, you there's know, it's different more, for everybody. There's a lot more potential to doing stuff with Android. Yeah, I think so too. Exactly. iPhone is much more kind of, I feel like tunnel vision focused. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is what we give you. This is what we present you, and that's it. There, mm -hmm. There's no other alternatives. You either like it or you don't. Android feels much more flexible. It mm -hmm. feels like they work with more companies. They they you know have the galaxies. They work with Google. Like they work with a lot more companies. Uh, so I feel like they give you more options, um, you know, and, and I, I just, I like that. I like the flexibility of them. And I, I just, you know, I'm, Apple is fine. It is what it is, but I'm just not an Apple person. So when I got, uh, they offered me a huge trading credit to upgrade from my 4A to this one. And what's interesting is the 4A phone, I think is like 300 bucks or something. That's what I paid for it. This is an $800 phone. And I and I got it for free. They gave oh, me okay. That's yeah. that's a good deal. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll take this like eight hundred dollar credit phone. Like that's fine. So I just got it. I'm still kind of getting used to it, but I really like it so far. I dig it. Um, you know, so shout out to uh, Samsung Galaxy S twenty one. Not a sponsor, clearly. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a bit, it's been a good phone so far, and I and I you know I feel like I feel pretty solid about it. So. Um, let's get into your, your little talk you did about boxing. So very curious. So let the people out there know, uh, just kind of a little bit about your backstory and experience. How did you get involved? Um, you know, and, and what is your involvement? I'm sure people right now are thinking like, is he a boxer? Is this what he's talking about? <laughs> no, Carlos is not a boxer. Um, but he's a pretty good golf player, which is also something we can talk. About. I want to know how that went for you too, because I know you play <laughs> golf in Puerto Rico. Uh, but talk a little bit about your, I guess, fight game, we'll call it background. Because you do stuff with like, um, you know, mixed martial arts and stuff like that too, right? So give me a little bit of the backstory. How'd you get into that? So... 
I went to school, I went to college in New Jersey for journalism, and I wanted to focus it more on sports journalism, and that was actually kind of my, my plan B. My plan A was to sort of try to make it as a pro soccer player, and that did not work out well at all. Clearly, because you're sitting here talking about it, right? <laughs> so, right around, so I, I, I had spent time, you know, during college doing internships, being a beat writer for the New York Yankees double-A team in Trenton, New Jersey. The That's Trent, cool. The Trenton Thunder for about three years. I worked at my college paper for several years, and then right around the summer of 2006, so Bit of a another side note uh, about me. I'm a huge wrestling fan, like huge pro wrestling fan, and I would go onto websites and I would do, uh, and I would just scour for pro wrestling news and stuff. We call we call them the dirt sheets, or some okay. people call them dirt sheets. Yeah. And there was a reporter named Sean Ross Sapp, who is an excellent pro wrestling reporter who also has done MMA reporting in the past, and. He was on Twitter, and he was doing like, hey, I'm doing like – I got a big announcement. So podcasters, anybody that wants to reach out to me to do an interview, reach reach out to me. And by that point, this was you know, June, May or June 2016, I was kind of thinking like I already wanted to do a pro wrestling podcast, but like it would be really cool to have him as the first guest. And so I reached out to him, and then right around towards the end of the interview – you know, he was talking about he was launching a new website where he's going to focus on pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. And he was hiring, looking for people, just trying to get a team together. And I saw right towards the end of the interview on his Twitter that he was looking for boxing writers. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, I've loved boxing my entire life. So I thought, you know, why not give it a shot? So I kind of shoot my shot with, uh, with Sean, and then I kind of got hired to be their boxing guy. Despite having no experience writing about boxing b- before, but That's awesome. but I loved the sport for 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 really my entire life. I yeah. mean, I'm in Puerto Rico, and it's you know it's a big boxing nation. Yeah, like in Puerto Rico, it's you know baseball, basketball, boxing, volleyball, pretty much that. Really, volleyball? I didn't know that. Yeah, volleyball is very big in in Puerto Rico. Very cool. All right, and uh and from that point onward i kind of spent you know year uh, you know for about four and a half years or so working with working under sean kind of as my mentor and as my editor and i've been you know i'm traveling all over the all over the country covering big fights like i've traveled to the barclay center countless times for world title fights i've been to madison square garden a couple of times wanted them to cover the retirement fight of my all-time favorite fighter miguel cotto and How was that? Nah, oh, man, that was. I mean, you were there for his last fight. I was there for his last fight. Wow! At Madison Square Garden, the first. It was the first time I'd ever gone to the Garden before, and Ooh. and it wasn't like the theater. It wasn't like the small. It was. We're talking like the the big venue where the Knicks play. Yeah. And it was like thirteen, fourteen thousand people there wow. at the Garden. It was phenomenal. I went to, like I said earlier, went to Los Angeles to cover a a World Championship fight at the Staples Center. Which is which was also another awesome experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So you got to, you know, I, I always say time and place, right? You just yeah. had the you met this guy and he told you what he was looking for and you were like, hey, I could do that. And then you just had all these incredible experiences. That's so cool. What was your, what is your favorite event that you got to cover? Whether boxing, MMA, what was it? The Miguel Cotto because he was kind of like your favorite. Boxer? I would say it's either. I would say yeah. For sentimental reasons, it was that the the other one that I'm definitely gonna remember was the very first fight I covered, which yeah. was the 
which was in Brooklyn. It was January 2017 in Brooklyn. Okay. It was the main event of this British dude named James DeGale, and, the other, and his opponent was this Swedish guy promoted by Floyd Mayweather named Badu Jagan. Oh, okay. it was a It was a phenomenal fight. The, the fight ended in a draw, of all things. Wow. And I feel like that's rare. Is that rare? The fights end in draws a lot? Main World championship fights, main events, ending in a draw is rare. It, yeah. it is very rare, especially when we're talking world champion against world champion. Like, they were unifying their titles. Oh, okay. So they— It's like you want to know who a winner is. Yes. Do you, do you ever— Okay, real quick, I have to interject because you're you're the expert in this. Do you ever feel like they go, well, this is a huge draw. This sold out, tons of pay-per-view buys. Maybe let's make it a draw and have a part in two. Like, because that's, that's a big talk. I know that. I, I watch, you know, MMA— um, I watch a little bit of boxing, very little bit of boxing, but I'm an MMA fan for sure. Um, and, and occasionally you'll see two guys that everybody wants to fight or two women that everybody wants to see, you know, get into the ring or get into the octagon. And you see a fight and it's pretty back and forth, but you can kind of say, all right, I feel like this person won, you know, pretty clearly. And they call it like a draw or a split decision or whatever. And you go, did they do this because they want to schedule a rematch? Do you ever think that that is a part of it? Or do you think that that's just kind of what people like me interpret or think? I look at it more as there's a lot of judges in boxing that are highly incompetent. Yeah. They're really, really bad. I know MMA's like that, too. Like the refs that are inside and the judges that are outside judging. Like, well, some, well, some of the bad boxing judges also ref and uh, do judging do on Do they? MMA. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, Adelaide Bird is what is a very famous They're, example. She is notoriously awful when it comes to those are two fun. polar opposite sports. Yes, that would be like saying, "Oh, I'm a football ref and I'm also a baseball ref." And you yeah, go, so, "Wait, no, you got to stay stay in your lane. You got to pick one and be an expert in one." Uh, yeah, so I, Adelaide Bird actually she was judging a fight from this past weekend's uh, yesterday's uh, UFC card, and. I forgot I forgot the names, but basically everyone was criticizing her because the guy that won, you know, he, I think he won second round or third round knockout, but she was the only one that scored round one, round two for the guy that lost, and everybody was like, "What the hell is this?" Wow! And she was the one who is famous for, you know, for be essentially being responsible for the draw in the Gennady Golovkin Canelo Alvarez fight, the first one. That was huge. That was she a huge was the fight. one. She was the one who did the infamous 118, 110 scorecard for Canelo Alvarez, and everybody freaked out because like this is like one of the this is like an all time bad scorecard. So so what happens in that nothing can happen right like can they can they protest like a commission or something like that to get something overturned or is like when they announce it that's it it's over so in some cases it's more of a sanctioning body type of deal so yeah. sometimes what they would do and one case that happened was when Manny Pacquiao lost in Australia back in 2017 um they there was a big fighting fighting this Australian guy named Jeff Horn and Horn won and everyone and all of us thought wait a minute no Pacquiao won like he didn't have a he didn't yeah. have to bring his best up but he won that fight and yeah. so the sanctioning body for the title that was at stake they what they did was they brought in like an independent panel of five different judges and they scored the fight you know after the fact and then they'll make a decision on that but usually in those cases it I mean they just kind of almost default to the guy that won yeah and yeah and they just kind of stick it that way it's exceedingly rare 
that they would overturn a decision. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we're talking like a TKO or something where it's kind of goofy or you know probably should have been, uh, you know, something that was either like a no contest or disqualification. Sometimes it happens. It, yeah. it, it, it it's also very rare. But when it comes to an actual decision, it uh it, it's exceedingly rare. I don't think I've ever covered a fight where that's ever happened where. You got the decision, and then much, much later, it's not, you know, the scorecards suck. Let's yeah. overturn the decision. I know back in the day, I don't know how long back in the day was, but that's an easy terminology to use back in the day, uh, that, you know, it became well-known, especially in boxing, that a lot of fights were rigged. Um, yeah. Like the mob was involved in a lot of different things, and they would pay off fighters to take a dive or something like that. And I have actually seen a couple documentaries where people have said, like, if you go back and look at it, like, a guy like jabbed another guy and he dropped mm-hmm. like in the second round. And it was like, wait, okay, this is clearly, and he, and he looked like he was just completely unconscious. But then like when the fight was called, and it was over. He just got up and walked out of the ring and walked <laughs> to the back, like perfectly fine. And it was like, Oh, okay. So I, I don't know if that has poisoned a lot of people of saying like, well, it used to be rigged. So why couldn't it be, you know, still rigged. And that's, especially that's when you have, when you have these refs and, and I guess the best one that I know is more like MMA, particularly the UFC. And we've talked about a lot of, you know, our mutual kind of love for the UFC, but still you will see. And I know Dana white, uncle Dana goes crazy when you see and hear about, you know, you'll see one judge scores the fight. So, you know, basically four rounds to one in a championship fight. Mm-hmm. Another judge scores the fight four rounds to one. And then the other judge will score it. Like, you know, two two and a split in one round and you go what how did the what what fight were they watching i feel that every single weekend watching boxing because there's always two or three judges and every fight card that always leaves you scratching i was talking to a historian yesterday uh because we were watching a lot of a lot of fights uh and he said like you know there's always uh, there's always that one judge that has to play the role of the village idiot and that's so strange like and i feel like it's I don't know. It's like a universal thing. Like, how how does that happen? Like, why? I almost wonder, like, who watches the judges? Like, who watches the people that make? Yeah, that's it almost seems like a carte blanche. They can just do and say whatever they want. And you just have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, that really hurts a lot of people. Because I know particularly in the UFC, like, people can get fight bonuses. They get win bonuses, you know, things like that. So, you know, if you if you rob a fighter of a win, you could cost them twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Like, you know, that's money that and that's a lot of da- people make in a whole year. And that's know? in the short term because a loss yeah. also sets them back and drops now, you down in rankings. Yeah, Absolutely. You yeah. know, sometimes you could lose a bad decision with a title future title shot on the line. That's another potentially like a six figure payday right yeah, there. Absolutely. I I've seen you know I've seen certain people that you know, they'll get like two bad decisions in a row. So even though it's two bad decisions and everybody knows that they still technically drop in the rankings. Mm-hmm. So you can go from a four to like an eight pretty quickly in the rankings from getting like a couple bad decisions in a row. And the fighters are saying like, I don't know what else I need to do. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I won the fight and you know, two out of three judges felt like I won the fight, you know, like it's, it's just a very strange thing. And it often leaves me wondering. And I think that's why Dana White, you know, you know, love him or hate him. Um, I, I like when he says, you know, things like don't leave it in the judge's hands, you mm-hmm. know, go out there and do what you need to do to win the fight. Um, but then the comeback to that is like, yeah, but like they're there for a reason. They're mm-hmm. there to almost like if I'm dominating and I've just completely dominated this whole experience, like they're there to tell me that I've dominated and make it official, you know, so because sometimes you just can't knock somebody out. You can't submit somebody like it just doesn't happen that night. But you clearly, you know, win the war. 
Um, you know, so it's just, it's a very interesting thing when I, when I think about that. Um, and so for, for you personally, um, what, which one do you like covering more? Do you prefer boxing or do you prefer MMA? I definitely prefer boxing. Boxing. Like, yeah. yeah it's, and it's... what is the reason behind it? Like why boxing? Is it because it's more technical? It's focused in one area? Like, or is it just kind of from childhood? Like, what is the reason that you prefer boxing? I mean, part of it, it has to do with childhood. You know, I grew up on it. You know, I loved playing boxing video games left and right when I was yeah. a little kid. And Mike Tyson knockout. Woo. Actually, no. Actually, no. I oh, didn't. really? You didn't play that? I love that game. So, so, I would, so, so I would actually, so I have played much later on in life, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I technically have. Punch-Out, yeah, Punch-Out. Yeah, so I have it on my Nintendo Switch and on my Nintendo 3DS. Okay. And, yeah, and I have a lot of fun with that. But the games that I would usually play was uh, EA Sports' Knockout King series. Oh, yes, I played that too. That yes. was fun. That was fun. That I remember the 2000 version of the game for the PS1. You can add, if you put in a certain Chico, you can unlock Tim Duncan from the San Antonio Spurs. That's going to be a reach. That's yeah. a reach advantage. <laughs> Tim Duncan. Like, like just like this super heavyweight. Yeah, dude. mega, mega heavyweight, seven foot tall fighter. That's awesome. Yeah. So you prefer boxing? Yeah, I prefer boxing. I just love the. I also just love the stories of the fighters, you know, because yeah. especially now having covered the sport for for about five years now, it's a. I mean, it's. I just love talking and just knowing more about these fighters. And when the sport is great and they give us some really good fights, I mean, to me, there's almost nothing like it. It's one of the most spectacular things ever. Yeah. So, do you buy into the gimmicky things like Floyd Mayweather versus what was it, Logan Paul? Mm -hmm. Do Do you buy into that? Do you like seeing that, or do you kind of view it as like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this? It, I kind of understand it more as a look. It's not my cup of tea. They're not catering to me. They're catering to the casual Logan Paul Absolutely. type of fans because yeah. he has an audience and love it or hate. It, I mean, he is a guy that brings in numbers, and they Showtime. And Triller wouldn't be doing these types of events with those guys yeah. in the main event unless yeah. they are, you know, a proven financial success. And, and I get Floyd it. Floyd is always happy to get paid. He's always happy yeah. to get paid. And so I like understand, like, this is not for the hardcore fans. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of, you know, useless to even discuss it. And plus, I mean, those fights, they're exhibitions. I mean, yeah. Mayweather Logan Paul was an exhibition fight. So, like, in the grand scheme of things, this fight does not matter. Yeah. It doesn't even, matter. So even if Floyd got knocked out, it, his record wouldn't change, His right? record would yeah. still be 15-0. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing that people don't realize. So no lose situation for him. He's getting paid a truckload of money. It won't yeah. affect his legacy. He was probably like, line these up all day for me. Uh, yeah. Who's the next person, right? Yeah, like, why, like if, you, if you told me you can make $100 million fighting a YouTuber, I'm like, yeah. Sign gonna, me up, right? Yeah, fighting a YouTuber, oh, and it's an exhibition, so if you were a pro boxer, it wouldn't even affect your yeah, record. I'm like, matter. yeah, I would take that a million times yeah. out of a million. And Floyd had to feel like, well— like I, he's not going to beat me. Like he's not going to knock no me out. Like hell. just, just no fear, right? I, no fear. Every, and he looked. He did not look in his best shape at all. No, no. I, he so didn't, I, I don't thinking, think he trained one yeah. round for this. He did not. I mean, yeah. look, it's it's a YouTuber whose only pro bout was against another YouTuber, and he lost. And he lost. Yeah. He lost. Like yeah. he. And I've seen. Like I'm dead serious when I say this. And I've trained in boxing. I've trained with some good trainers back in Puerto Rico. You give me a full training camp, I can beat. The Paul brothers. Yeah. I can beat the Paul brothers. Yeah. And they're technically bigger than me. Yeah. So th this was a no-lose situation for Floyd. No, like, no. Getting a huge payday, getting back in front of the cameras, knowing for a fact you're not going to lose. Speaking of that, what did you think of him versus Connor? 
that was see that was a that was an interesting situation yeah. because one that was a pro sanctioned fight yeah. and, and Connor was a world champion at the time, right? He yeah, was, he, yeah, he was yeah, a he UFC. Was on, he, was, he was on top of world. He was yeah. basically at the apex of his yeah. popularity. He was crushing people. I mean, just like his accuracy in the octagon. I mean, I know boxing's very different. Everything is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he never fought a defensive fighter like Floyd before. No, um, but Connor's accuracy was like scary. Like he yeah. was just, he was so, that left hand, so powerful. And his accuracy was, I remember that Eddie Alvarez. Yes, I was fight. about to say, that, like, this was where, right was after like, boom, the Eddie boom, Alvarez boom, fight. Boom. Like four straight unanswered shot, and Alvarez looked like he had no idea what world he was in. And we're talking about Eddie Alvarez, who at the time, a lot of people thought he was the greatest the UFC best. lightweight yeah, ever. The best, yeah. And Connor just making him look foolish. So that was, I remember that was like a mega event because it was like, okay, Floyd, undefeated. You know, just absolute dominance. Connor crushing everybody they put in front of him with accuracy like nobody's ever seen before. That was a mega fight. That yes. was like it was the a mega world was, was watching. It was a mega event for sure. And you also have to add on to the fact that it was he was going for fifty at no. Yeah. And at the time, you know, Floyd was tied at the he was forty nine no, which was tied with the great Rocky Marciano. It's also forty nine yeah. no. Yeah. And once you reach that fifty and no, like that's there's, there's just, just something about that. There's something 50. about it. There's something about yeah. it because only a handful of people in history have been able to go fifty yeah. and no or at least win fifty straight fights. Yeah. Julio Cesar Chavez Senior was one of them. Uh, there's another. It's funny. There's a there's a Thai fighter who who ended up losing at some point. I think last year, but he went like fifty three and no in wow. his in his career. That's wild. And the, I love the whole point in something we will all joke that he's the greatest ever because Floyd kept touting fifty and no and said because of that I'm the best ever. And yeah. like, no, there's a guy that's fifty three and no yeah. who fights at one hundred and five pounds. And he's from yeah. Thailand. That's and wild. And he's fifty three and no. So he so by your logic he's the best yeah. ever. So what did you what did you actually think of the the Conor Floyd fight? Did you cover it? So I went so I went to the Brooklyn press conference. Okay, it was it was chaotic. It was the one where it started really late because Conor took his sweet ass time there. Yeah, he came in like almost an hour late, and we were all just wondering. So I was so if you kind of I don't know if you remember the stage setup mm-hmm. for the Brooklyn one. It was like a big stage yeah. where they kind of had like a runway. Oh, like, you were at that one? I was that one. Oh, okay. That that became very popular. I was I they was, were like it was like showdown with each other. I was at that one. I was if you kind of look like if the catwalk the runway was kind of like facing you, yeah. I was on the right side like okay. right at the edge like if the cameras I was there, like, maybe five feet from, like, the edge of the cameras yeah. that I was pointing so at. So you were right there. So I was there. They were – Floyd was uh, – I think it was Floyd or Connor. One of them was throwing, like, a ton of $1 bills. Yeah, they just had, like, a sack full of, like, money and stuff. Yeah. And they were just and, throwing and, money. And, and if anybody was curious how much money or what kind of dollar bills, they were all $1 bills. They were all $1. They were not. They yeah. were not. They were not hundreds. Yeah. They were not. They were not. And I remember two highlights of that press conference for me. One was where – Floyd would just kind of bring his crew, his entourage, and he literally just, for some reason, called Voltron Assemble. I'm just like, what? what? <laughs> that is like, I never, in, I never. You in never a, thought those words would come out of No, I never would have imagined Floyd to do a Voltron <laughs> reference. I'm, that took me back. That That's took hilarious. Me. And the second highlight was where I, they had a press conference after the fact, and Dana White was talking, and I got to ask Dana a question, and. Not me, nor my question, but Dana's answer actually ended up on one of the UFC documentaries that was on really? YouTube. What did you ask him? I asked him about um, how Dana 
how Dana feels every time Connor kind of gets up from his chair or he steps on stage and kind of goes a bit out of line. His like, feel- does it make him nervous? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he said, yes. He said, yes. It makes me very, very nervous. He, like, he feels like he's going to hurt someone or going to yeah. do something with the, with a chair. Yeah. Connor's done a lot of really dumb stuff. Like, yes. when he threw the thing at the bus and yeah, when he Michael threw the Chiesa, dolly, like, which got, was, like, cut in his eye. Which, funny and... enough, it was at that same venue. It was at Oh, the, really? At the Barclays Center. Yeah. And, like, throwing bottles of water. Like, he just... And I know that's sort of his brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like, unpredictable. Like, you never know what I'm going to do, so tune in because you can mm-hmm. see the craziest thing ever. But all the people that write the checks and everything, it's going to make them really nervous. The insurance people are probably, like, on edge. Like, what is this guy going to do next? And and he's gotten in a lot of trouble for a lot of stuff. But there is something about the level of entertainment that he mm-hmm. brings of, you know, I, I all – I feel like I enjoy the extremes one way or another. Mm. Like a fighter that's just kind of boring and doesn't bring a whole lot of whatever. It's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. But if you have somebody, I al- I also really like the people that are super respectful. Like the mm. people that are just like, this. I'm not angry at this mm-hmm. person. Like I'm trying to better my family. I'm trying to better my record. I'm trying to go for a legacy. Um, you know, I have no ill will towards this person. I really like that um, because I, I've seen a, a lot of people kind of approach it with that mindset and it's changed things like, um, you know, uh, I feel like a good example that comes to my mind is Thug Rose, you know, Rose mm-hmm. Namajunas, like just stopped with the anger. Like, I'm not mad at anybody. Like, I'm doing this for myself. This is a personal thing for me. Like, I'm not throwing any hate at anybody. I'm not going to trash talk anybody. Like, and I really like that. Like, I really like her as as an opponent, um, as a fighter. Um and being from the Cleveland area, Steve Miocic, right? Yeah. Like, doesn't throw anger at people, doesn't trash talk people. Like, well, he one gets of the to, nicest guys in the yeah, UFC. Such a nice person. Like, just says, like, no, I'm doing this for myself. This is for my family. Um, and he's like Mr. Cleveland, right? Loves Cleveland, loves everything. He's a volunteer firefighter. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, and even, you know, when he lost to DC very gracious and his lost and very humble and said, you know, this is going to make me work harder. And then he came back and beat DC, um, you know, which that trilogy I loved. That you was know, a good, it was, it was a good because DC sort of the same, except for John Jones, right? Yeah. Him and John Jones just went at it. But like, I, I love DC because DC and Stipe was such a great matchup because it's like both highly, highly skilled fighters at what they do, but they were really respectful towards each other. Mm-hmm. They talked about how much mutual respect they had for each other. Um, so I really like that, but then the opposite side, yeah. right? Connor just run Nate Diaz just running his mouth. You go, I can't help it. This is entertaining. Yeah. Like I can't help it. You know, so it's a weird thing of like I like the super respectful people and then I also like the really high level like trash talking yeah, people. Yeah, no, no. I'm in the same way in the sense where, you know, you tune into Connor not just for the fight, but for the antics as well. But when you tune into DC and Stipe, I mean you're talking about arguably the greatest UFC heavyweight ever, and then you have in DC arguably the greatest, you know, MMA athlete yeah, ever, or at least I mean, male MMA fighter light ever. heavyweight and heavyweight champion. Yeah, like, like yeah, if you kind of take out all the guys that have that are in that conversation who have all popped for PEDs or drugs yeah. at some point, like, DC's the only one so far that has been clean. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that about him, and he's an Olympic athlete. Yeah, you know, he's an Olympian as well, and he's just a big old goof. I know he just loves to laugh and have. I really like his commentary. I, I think good. he's a really good commentator. I would love to see, uh, and we talked about this off off mic. Um, I would love to see him and Stipe commentate together, like like as a because I really like Stipe brings that just kind of blue collar, down to earth, hardworking, 
get in the gym and do it. And DC, I feel like, brings more of that kind of higher level intellect, that fighter breakdown that Dominic Cruz can bring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm a big fan of them, and, and I love that whole trilogy and everything. Um, you know, touching on the people that beat DC, right? John Jones, right? Mm-hmm. But he he's popped so many times, and not just for PEDs, for other things, too. Ecograms. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your whole take on John Jones? Do you think that so do you put him in the category of this guy destroyed legend after legend after legend he's the best or do you put him in yeah he destroyed legend after legend but he also tested positive after positive after positive what category do you put john jones in it's weird i feel like i'm kind of in the middle like i recognize to me i recognize john jones as the greatest talent in, in yeah. MMA history, yeah. the greatest talent, unbelievable talent. Yeah, unbelievable. no. When, when you look at everything, when he when he's at his best, he is the most unstoppable fighter I probably yeah. have ever seen. I mean, it's scary how good. Like he was. I would put, like even more than Anderson Silva, yeah. even more than GSP, because he finished fights. Mm-hmm. Like he finished people. He 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 submitted like guys that were experts in submission. He knocked out guys that were experts in knocking yes. people out. But to me, I find it hard to kind of put him as the greatest of all time because yeah, it's positive objective. For sure, it's kind of the same uh, same situation with Anderson Silva. Yeah, you know he. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for the PEDs, I probably would have put him as the greatest Anderson, of all time. Yeah. So what's your? You know, I'm putting you on the spot right now. You you can feel free to change it later. But what is what would you say is your Mount Rushmore of of fighters? Would you have Jones and Silva of the four, two of the four on the mountain? That's a good because I know who else I would throw on. Um, I, I, I would for sure put GSP. I would put GSP. On. As I'm well. a huge GSP fan, um, and I liked it because he would say, "Let's test more. Let's test mm-hmm. harder." I I have nothing in my system. Let and he actually walked away because of the testing. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons he cited of why he left the UFC was he didn't think the drug testing was hard enough. He mm-hmm. didn't think that people were being tested as frequently as they should have been. Um, so for me, anyway, I would put you know GSP on that. So it's like a weird, like, who do you put in that fourth spot, right? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, who from the old era, from, like, the from the old USC? Because, yeah. like, there are some that, like— I mean, Gracie, you know, Gracie rev- would be the revolutionized old... the sport. Gracie you know? would be the only one out of the old era. Because, like, when yeah. you think about guys, you know, Kim Shanrock, I mean, no. just not, not quite there, even though he was very, yeah. you know, he and, was— And I wouldn't put Chuck Liddell to, no. to one note. And I wouldn't even same put, with Randy Couture. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't even put um, uh, what was it, Matt Hughes? I wouldn't put him on because GSP could dominate him. Yes. So if I'm putting GSP on, I can't put Matt Hughes on. You know, because mm-hmm. GSP, you know, had ownership over Matt Hughes. Um, so yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, uh, for me anyway, the fourth person I would probably throw on, um, Amanda Nunez. You know, you know what? Yeah, yeah I'm okay with that yeah. too. I mean, the the way that she has. Early in her career, right? Lost fights, won fights, and she just got this focus, Mm -hmm. and she just got this way of training. And I saw an interview with her once where she just said, you know, oh, what changed for you? And you're so dominant now. What changed for you? And she was like, I just decided I wasn't going to lose anymore. And you're like, whoa. Like, that type of focus. And then you look at the people that she has just leveled through, and Mm -hmm. it's the top of the top. They can't find anybody else that's a top tier person that has a name to fight her because she's beaten everybody. She dominated. Steamrolled. Ron, she dominated Ronda Rousey I mean, and Chris nasty. Cyborg, who a like, lot of people beforehand thought. I know they, they are unquestionably the two greatest female MMA fighters. Of all Ronda time. Rousey, the way she went through everybody, right? It was just like 
judo flipping people and arm barring people and you were like what is this person and then holly holmes came in and kicked her head off which was just one of the craziest highlight knockouts ever but to see the level of dominance by amanda um is just something it sort of it sort of like freaks me out mm-hmm. she's so strong but she's so composed like she looks for her spots but when she connects because I remember the cyborg fight, I was like, "All right, this is gonna this is gonna decide it." Because cyborg is a monster in the octagon, mm. and the way she handled cyborg, I was like, "Okay, it's just, she's the best." Yeah, she's D- the to best. me right now, Amanda Nunez is number one pound for pound, regardless of gender. It, I would completely agree. Like yeah. in all of MMA, yeah. like she is the yeah. unquestionably the best MMA yeah. fighter yeah. in the world. Yeah. Like men, women. Yeah, didn't matter. She's the best. And I, I personally, because I'm such a huge supporter of the LGBT plus community, um, I love about how open and outspoken she is about, yeah. you know, um, being in that community and her partner and her kid and, you know, all of that. It's really great. I, I love when we have representation in mm-hmm. sports of the LGBTQ plus community in particular. Um, so yeah, I would say maybe like a Anderson Silva, John Jones, GSP, Amanda Nunes. I feel like, is that a decent, is that a decent I amount? would say that's a decent, like, off the cuff, uh, yeah. right now, off the cuff, I, I, I wouldn't mind that. It's a, yeah, it's, again, I mean, if you have to go all the way back to, like, the beginnings of yeah. UFC, I mean, Hoist Gracie would be maybe the only one that you yeah. would consider. Because he just changed the sport. Yeah. Before may- that, it was, like, punches and kicks, and he was like, wait, I'm choking people out, I'm throwing people, ground game, like... People were just overwhelmed by him. They didn't know what to do with him. He changed the sport for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, he had, like, a ton of, like, really good, I would call supporting acts that kind of just yeah. helped in, yeah. helped elevate the sport as well. Like, yeah, it's like sure. we mentioned, you know, Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz. Uh, Chuck Kenny, Liddell. Chuck Liddell, the Kenny Shamrock. Kenny Shamrock, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Hughes, um, you know, people really made a name for themselves and, you know, helped to kind of propel everything and, and move things forward. But... There's always those people you go back to. I mean, I'm a huge Steep A fan. I'm a huge DC fan. You know, amazing, uh, you know, heavyweights. Um, and then Connor. Connor took, I feel like, the sport and kind of put it into a different stratosphere. Yes. Um, kind of gave the blueprint to how to be, how to Hollywood a little bit, right? How to how to be an entertainer and a fighter. And you see a lot of people have taken that mantle. What's his name? Sean O'Malley. Is that his name? That's real, like energy. Has the big hair. Is real well, he, energetic. Was he, um, he? He wasn't. He's the. Um, he's not the one that they call him Bob, Bob Ross, right? Uh, oh, he might be. Yeah, because he, he has big curly hair. Yeah, yeah he yeah. has big curly. Yeah. Um. So he's kind of set the blueprint for people being more kind of charismatic and everything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, I don't know. It's it's interesting of where it's going to go into the future. Sports as a whole, regardless of what sport you're talking about, are so different now. Uh, because of the spotlight, um, because of things like Instagram and TikTok and things like that. And back in the day, like when we were growing up, it was like, okay, well, you you see a fighter if they're on TV Mm -hmm. and that's it. You don't see a fighter any other time. Um, But now it's like they have accounts and you can they take pictures at home and they take pictures when they go out places and, you know, they trash talk each other. And it's so much more like, you know, immersive, like mm-hmm. into a sport. And then there's so much more like coverage. And, and then the people that cover, it's not just they write in the newspaper, but like they, they have accounts and things like that. So I feel like, I don't know, how do you feel about access to information? Um, you know, because obviously you're a part of this world, right? Like mm-hmm. you write for these things and you write articles and you do podcasts and you do all this kind of stuff. Um, but how do you feel in terms of like the access to 
we have access to everything now. You know, um, you know, everything a fighter has ever done. Uh, you know, regardless of what sport it is or what it is, um, you know, there's so many things written about them. There's so many things, you know, videos published and, and sound bites and all these kinds of things. Are you, because you're in that deep into it, do you love it or do you kind of miss the more old school of like written word and you had to wait to find out about an event until somebody wrote about it after? Or do you really like kind of where it's going now? I like the, I like the way it's going in the sense that yeah. there is an – Obviously, we we right now live in a world of instant gratification. It's a for sure, and yeah. I think there is a kind of a sense of community that social media kind of created. You know, because obviously we wouldn't have been able to talk so much with so many different people yeah. about an event, not not just in sports, just in general. Yeah, and it kind of just and I, and I get why people uh kind of warn about the dangers of social media or yeah. that is kind of taking over. I get it. But there is, but when you look at the positive of it, I mean, there's just that level of communication and that openness, you know, with so many people on a global stage that you know, if done right, yeah, it's it's a, an amazing thing. But you know, very easily it can be abused. Yeah, and, and you can I, abuse anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. but but I, I like that. I like that take. If done right, it can be a really great tool in a way of approaching things. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen how you know, you know, on the flip side, how social media can just really mess someone up. Yeah. And, and it seems to be the mind game of it. Like, a lot of people, you know, like, somebody will call them out or poke fun of another person on social media, and you can tell it gets to the athlete. Like, it gets to them. It mm -hmm. bothers them. Um, you know, so it's become a whole other, like, sort of trash-talking mind game. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to name any names, but I know several fighters that, you know, they read a lot on social media, yeah. and it gets under their and skin. And you can tell it bothers them, yes. right? Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, so speaking of sports, we got to get back to it. I talked about earlier. How did golf go when you went back to Puerto Rico? Now, now tell everybody out there. Like you, you used to like legit be a really. I don't want to say used to, but well, we talked about <laughs> it. We went mini golfing before, and that's about as as good as I get with golf as mini golfing. Um, but you were really heavily involved in golf when you were younger, right? Yeah. So I was a, a, a from like ages eight to about fifteen, sixteen. I was like a competitive golfer. Yeah. In the Puerto Rico circuit, and I would say I was pretty darn good. I was usually within the three or four best golfers in my age, whatever wow. age group I was in the entire island. And I remember the first time I, my, I think it was my first or second year of competitive golf, I actually played in essentially like the Caribbean Championships in I don't remember. It was like they call it. It was the Three Kings Invitational, named after you know the Three Kings Day for yeah, those of you yeah. who are aware of that. And I finished eighth i believe so i was like kind of like the eighth best golfer at like nine years old around the entire caribbean wow. and so i'm in the presence of greatness right now I, love that. <laughs> I have like so many medals that i'm not trying to brag like this i still no you're not a bragger i can confirm that you're that's not you like yeah. i have like almost like an entire trophy room me and my brother and i because he used to be also really good oh, okay and who was better there you go. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> He's just me. <laughs> and we have like dozens and dozens of medals and trophies. Wow. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. And coming back to Puerto Rico, I hadn't played golf in about two years, yeah. like two full calendar years. And I actually did not do terribly. I actually did not do terribly. I think I finished with like a uh, – I, I think it was like plus 12. 
and a 12 is that good? I don't know. Twelve anything. over par. I mean, oh, okay, that sounds good. Twelve over par, which is pretty decent yeah. for you know someone who hasn't touched the golf club in two years. I feel like I finished plus like eight hundred over par, <laughs> something like that. Like I'll get on a hole, it'll be like a par three, and I'll be at seven, and be like, okay, this is this is going to be a fun day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? What made you uh, What made you stop? You said until about fifteen. So why did you Why did you kind of stop with that? Uh, I was kind of going in. I was really trying to get full in on on soccer at the time because for a long period, for almost my entire life, I was a two sport athlete. Okay. It, it just yeah. depended what two sports they were. Yeah. At first, it was basketball and baseball. Then it was baseball and golf. Then it was golf and soccer. And then, you know, as I was trying to get into college, I wanted to focus really in on the soccer. And so golf became kind of less of a priority for me. And I wanted to try to get recruited to colleges. And ultimately, that didn't really work out. I went to school for the academics and tried to see if I could walk on as a a soccer player. But it didn't happen. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I've talked to a couple people previously, not through a podcast, but just life in general, who were involved in multiple sports, had to choose a sport, things like that. One thing that always comes to mind is uh, Rafael Nadal. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually a very, very good soccer player growing mm-hmm. up, like an excellent soccer player, but he was also a tennis player. Um, and basically, whoever was coach or father, whoever it was, said, you got to pick one. You got to focus in one. Um, and I think as the story goes, correct me if I'm wrong, Rafael Nadal, um, but I think as the story goes, he actually thought he was better at soccer. He thought his future was with soccer. Um, but his tennis coach said, like, if you can perfect playing left-handed, you will have such an advantage over everybody else in the court because almost everybody plays right-handed. Um, and he got to be super mega high-level left-handed, and then he started focusing 100%. But apparently he had a real love, like a real, real deep love of soccer. Um, so it's always interesting when somebody's a two-sport person and mm-hmm. they have to choose. It's almost like, well, choose this path and leave this other thing that you love kind of off to the side. So were you able to walk away from golf pretty easily or did you did you miss it or did it not happen until later you missing it? No, I, I would say it wasn't like I abandoned golf entirely. Yeah. I would just, you know, I would play tournaments a lot less. I would yeah. I was still in a hit. So I'd still so it was still a part of my life. It yeah. just wasn't a 50 50 type of thing as it used to be. But I mean, it, to me, I didn't really miss it a whole lot because I knew I could always find a way to, you know, stay involved and stuff. And and I'm always someone who always tries to go for something new or yeah, tries to go for, like it. Like when I gave up, when I stopped playing basketball, I'm like, all right, let's go for soccer. And I didn't realize I liked soccer uh, until I actually tried it. And baseball was a huge part of my childhood. And yeah. I was, it, you know, to me, I'm a guy that like, just likes liking things yeah and yeah. wants to try those things for sure and like it's not just in sport just in general like there's a lot of different things like i like i see I'm like oh that sounds neat or that sounds interesting i want to yeah. try it yeah i love that um i feel like that didn't happen for me until i was older mm-hmm. um when i was younger you know i was always kind of the the goof the joker mm-hmm. you know I, I was always the goofy guy but I also kind of viewed myself as a little bit one note, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew the things that I were good at and I stuck to them and I didn't really get too adventurous with other things. And not until I got a little bit older that I said, well, let me try this and let mm-hmm. me try this and let me try this and see what happens. And I'm so much happier now, now that I experiment with more things and try more things and go for more things. So I love hearing that you were like, well, I did this for a while and then I tried this and then I tried mm-hmm. this and then I tried this, um, you know, so you, you've played so many different sports. You've been involved in a lot of different stuff. 
um, and you know, then you ended up in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up in Cleveland? So my girl, my girlfriend got a job offer from Cleveland Clinic, and she she just came out of you know med tech school for you know to become a technician, uh, and or a technologist I should say, because uh, I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, I, I don't know the terminology. Yeah, so I, shout I, out to Diana, you're awesome. We I, love you. I would say yeah, <laughs> medical labor- laboratory scientist is yeah. the is the which, proper nomenclature. For which that. which side note. During COVID pandemic, I mean, so essential, right? I'm sure she and, and Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic for the state of Ohio yeah. was a was the hub. Yeah, that, it was a main. Yeah, it was a big, big hub. I mean. So Diana did she did testing on, um, like, did she do testing on like samples and COVID she, and things she, like she that? She analyzed the she analyzed some test uh, yeah. COVID samples and stuff. She she was not uh, you know administering the test. That was not her role. Yeah. Her role was doing strictly lab work, dealing with you know bodily fluids, with blood work, yeah, se- uh, white blood cell count, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and she worked in a lab, kind of away from everything else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She was because I was going to ask, how did that feel for her going in every day during a pandemic, like going to a medical environment? Yeah, no, she they put her. Yeah, she always worked in a lab, which is always sterile, which is away from the madness of yeah, the ER yeah. and the waiting rooms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was not. It wasn't really a drastic change for her but there were times where you know things got a little hectic and yeah you know sometimes living in a place where you know there are bars and there are car accidents and there are people you know who uh don't quite know how to take care of themselves yeah, or get yeah. into accidents and it just becomes uh really really yeah, chaotic and it doesn't help that she kind of works uh i guess the graveyard shift of the hospital which yeah. is 10 30 p.m. to 6 30 a.m. That is rough. I which could is not do uh, that. which is very rough. So got so yeah. So she got a job offer from them, and we had known we we had been dating for about uh, let's see, we moved in on July 2019, okay. and by that point we had been dating for a little more than a year. So she got the job offer like. I would say like um, a little more than a year after we started dating, and then we had like a month and a half to kind of move out of Puerto Rico and get into everything is settled in Cleveland, and we and we had known each other since you know since uh, high school, technically well, technically high school, high school, middle school, because uh, when I first met her, I was in middle school and she was in high school, like she's a year older than me. Like those older women, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And we and we kind of started dating at you know much later after we both graduated from college. Yeah. And we kind of saw at a friend's birthday celebration at a Chili's, and we and we started talking, and then we one thing led to another, and we started dating uh, for the first time, and yeah. we kind of stayed together since then. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, it's been really great because we we've met during the pandemic right yes. yeah yeah we met during the pandemic it's been, yeah i think i i don't know the exact right around date. a year yeah I it's i don't know the exact date but we are about a year yeah which is so strange right like it's just a really strange thing but we've been able to do um you know during the pandemic we've been able to do outside events like a, a fire outside where you guys have come over and hung out with us or in the in the know, in the in the deep deep winter time yes where we're all okay so that's a fun little side story for everybody out there we were we would literally be sitting outside t-shirt long sleeves hoodie and then a coat on over that like hats on gloves on and we're sitting outside around a fire because during a pandemic you just need human interaction Mm -hmm. you just want to be around people um you know you miss people Um, i'm sure everybody out there was feeling the same way 
uh, a couple people that I've spoken to in conversations have actually said they started dating during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so everybody had a different experience, but we didn't really have many people that we saw. You two were like some of the only people we really (laughs) hung out with during the pandemic, because I feel like you both understood and respected it the same way that we did. You were both cautious and safe. Um, you know, when we saw each other, we didn't hug. No. There was none of that. There was no physical no. contact. No, the, the first time we, all four of us, were together for the first time, we didn't. We never even like met face to face. We were in our separate. That's cars. right. We That's were right. we were in our separate. Co- we were in our cars. We were yeah. separate. We were just talking on the phone. We we were. How planning, hilarious was that? <laughs> we were plan. Well, we were planning on actually sitting down at a restaurant. Yeah. And it was raining that day, and, yeah. the, and it was pouring. So yeah. we just got some. Uh, food from someplace and we kind of ate a little Sat bit in our respect our cars, yeah. and then we just kind of came home and i remember that day because that was the day where you know i forgot the name of the place i completely forgot but i got i i ordered a steak manhattan deli manhattan De- manhattan deli <laughs> i ordered steak and what i got was like a heaping <laughs> like it was it was totally like ground beef unseasoned <laughs> cooked ground beef oh, so like, sad and i'm like i'll eat it but um, but you're, but but you're it's not, not happy what about I, it. But it's not what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I remember that. That was wild. We were sitting in our cars talking to each other on our phones. That was so weird. <laughs> um, but now here we are, fully vaccinated, being able to sit in person. Um, this is super cool. Um, and you know, I I was thinking about who I wanted to kind of do my first, you know, just casual conversational chat with. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, you you came up for sure, and I reached out, and you were like, "Yeah, let's go, let's do this." So mm-hmm. I'm really appreciative of you being so on board with this. Um, you know, I would love uh, for you know us to follow up sometime mm-hmm. in the future and just do oh, more yeah. chats, and you know, um, we can do fun things for like if there's a some you know sports event or something coming up, we could just do a simple one and talk about the event or talk about your experience working with the event um, and things like that. But uh, we are right now like a little more than an over an hour, so we've been talking for a while. Pretty oh, wow. cool, right? Um, but no, I, I really appreciate you doing this, Carlos. This is really cool. And it's just nice to sit down and have a conversation. Um, you know, for me, when I, when I talk with people, I always kind of have a vision of where it'll go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about their Instagram channel or an organization that they work with or something like that. But this mm-hmm. is neat because right. No, no script, no notes. Like it's just us having a conversation. I'm doing a few more coming up with different people, like just mm-hmm. having a conversation. And I really like doing this. I really look forward to this. Uh, because there's something that's still really amazing about not having a direction, just talking to somebody, you know, like we're just sitting here talking as friends. Like right. that, that's all we've done. Um, it's you know, no different from our usual conversation. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly how we normally do. But I think we need to put more of that into the world right mm. now. Um, I think people are still feeling really disconnected from each other. Yeah. And now that people are getting back in person, um, I know people, you know, friends of mine that have actually reached out to me and said, yeah, I, I can still, I can be around people now and other people are vaccinated, but I still have anxiety about it. I still have nerves about it because for the past year plus, mm-hmm. I haven't been around many people, you know, or I know people that are still working remote and they've worked remote this entire time. And then they have a friend that says, oh, why don't you come over and hang out? And they're like, um, should I do that? Because we've spent so long not being able to do that. Um, so for everybody out there, if you are vaccinated, if the people around you are vaccinated, if you're being safe, Um, and you feel good about it, Um, I can just tell you how good it feels to be sitting here with Carlos right now talking to my friend and having a conversation um, and knowing that we can start doing this again and that we can start getting back to whatever version of quote-unquote normalcy it's going to look like 
Um, but for me, this is this is a real treat, and I'm super excited about this, and I can't wait to release this. Um, anybody out there that has any questions for me or Carlos, feel free to reach out. We'd love to get back to you with a response. Um, and then do you have any any social media or anything or anything you write for, anything you want to promote or anything like that, or is it just who you are, Carlos? <laughs> uh, I mean, if anyone wants to reach out or know more about boxing, because I do tweet a lot about boxing stuff in the – you know, on Twitter, so you can follow me at Carlos Toro Media, and I, I don't really use social aside from Twitter and yeah. maybe occasionally Facebook, but just me, the messenger part, not yeah. the actual Facebook part. Uh, I I don't I don't really use uh, uh, social media a whole lot. I, I technically have an Instagram account, but I've never posted yeah. anything in like the three or four years I've had it. Yeah, so Twitter's the main. Yeah. yeah, well, anybody can reach out to me, and I can filter that to, to Carlos. I'd be happy to. But I will also put your, like, links and stuff, you know, in the description below the podcast. So, right. Um, but, you know, Carlos, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah, awesome. So for all of you out there listening, uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, if you're a returner, welcome back. Happy to have you back. Um, and regardless of where you're coming from, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.